that I had to believe that whatever I was doing was the most important thing for me to be doing in the whole world. And that doesn't mean that I have to be the best at it, that, that there's no one better at it. It just means that whatever I'm doing, it's what, it's the most important thing for me to be doing. Hey everyone, I am Rish and welcome to Inspired, the podcast, the community featuring inspiring people across numerous disciplines with passion to share their wisdom with us. In each episode, I will have insightful and fun conversations with inspiring people on their professional journey, their successes, struggles, lessons learned and much more. Super excited to welcome today's guest on Inspired and I'm so happy to see one of the greatest teachers I would say of all time. Uh, who simplifies the most complex topics in ml data science and stats and has been helping so many people out there including me in the journey of uh, learning data science i also founder and ceo of statquest author of the most selling and lovable ml book i would say the statquest illustrated guide which i have it here always by my side and also lead ai educator at lightning ai josh uh, welcome to inspired but i want to start with this episode with a song by you hello i'm happy to be on the inspiration podcast we're gonna talk about a lot of things today hip hip hooray hooray this is so awesome thank you so much josh yeah. uh you're you're playing ukulele uh, mm-hmm. but i know there are a lot of instruments that you play i could see yes. them in the background as well right yeah that's right so yeah so I will, let's start with like the instruments that josh plays and maybe your favorite instrument yeah so um i i love playing musical instruments uh obviously i play the ukulele uh that's a that is a fa- uh, an all-time favorite of mine uh i also spent some time uh living in south india uh, mm-hmm. so I've got some tabla and when I was there, I learned how to play the Carnatic Vena as well, uh, which is a relatively l- large four string instrument made out of a jackfruit tree. Um, and that's a, I mean, I just love that instrument. It's super beautiful, super majestic. It's rich. Um, you know, and it's also kind of like a, a relatively like it has some higher notes, but it also has some real low notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it corresponds, uh, to an instrument I grew up playing, um, as a child, I, I grew up playing the cello, oh, you cello. Know, sort of like, so the cello is sort of the Western equivalent of, in my opinion, of the Carnatic Vena. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I play the cello. I also play, I have a tenor guitar, which is a lot like a, uh, a lot like a cello <laughs> and a lot like is the Carnatic like, Vena. Is it like it's a like, four string guitar? It's a four string guitar, just like mm-hmm. the Vena is and just like the cello is and just like the ukulele is or the ukulele. Um, and so I'm I'm very partial to four stringed instruments. I also have a, a, a standard sort of bass guitar, which is another four stringed instrument. I think all of the instruments I play are, are four stringed. Except you simplify for, things. You simplify yeah, exactly. things. So you go for simplified version as well. Exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I actually do have a real guitar, but I never play it. Like a real six string guitar, but I never play it because I'm like, I don't know what to do with the extra strings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing. Uh, so I, I, t- I try to keep it simple with, with the instruments in my life. That's great. I, I do uh, play uh, acoustic guitar mm-hmm. a few days. So. Yeah. 
in a week whenever I get time and I have it by my side as well. So that's the is. one that I play. Um, yeah. Some of the, uh, I would say, open strings that I've started playing now, uh, uh-huh. but I haven't gotten into uh, the more complex uh, chords. So all the open chords is something that I can't play at this moment. Uh, but next step for me is to get into uh, the more complex uh, calls. That, that's a that's a great start. I mean, anywhere you know. And just yeah. to be honest, to be honest, I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, uh, I find strumming an instrument is like one of the best things I can do to clear my mind. If I'm working on a really difficult problem and I'm stuck and I don't seem to be making any progress, and I'm just like I don't know what to do next. There's nothing better for me than picking up my ukulele or my tenor guitar or my cello and strumming it a little bit. And it's just like right. my whole brain is reset and I can start again fresh. Right. I think the music, uh, it gives you a different feel. It gives you more calmness, as you say, yeah. like when you're stressed, just to calm yourself. Sometimes I do it in the mornings mm-hmm. when oh, there's yeah. like... There's so much information when you get up, like your phone uh, with all the notifications and all. Sometimes you just want to go and have some time with your guitar or any music instrument you play and start a day fresh uh, with yeah. all that information in the morning. That's a, yeah, that's a great time to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll start. We'll get started then. Uh, we discussed about music. Uh, one thing I wanted to discuss or ask you uh, about the catchphrase that you have. have. <laughs> I don't know how you say it, but I was interested to know that is there a story behind your catchphrase? Uh, And I'm also going to use this uh, as the title of our podcast episode. So where does this BAM come from? Exactly. It's a a great title. And I'll tell you the story of BAM. So uh, there used to be, and I believe this is, it's true that it's past tense, uh, a cooking show called Cooking with Emerald or Emerald Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, you know, this is a long time ago, um, uh, back when like the Food Network really hadn't kind of like got into the swing of things, you know, back back when they had, uh, mo- you know, most cooking shows back then were really boring and had relatively low production value. And, you know, it was just like, here, we're going to add this ingredient, stir it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and they would make great food, but there wasn't a lot of like showmanship. Mm-hmm in in it that the, that the chefs had uh, back then back in the day and emerald in my mind was the first person to kind of add a little pizzazz to it mm-hmm. to the cooking show format one of the things he had that was awesome was a live band so he had he he's uh, he was filmed in new orleans and he had a live jazz band that would play you know kind of filler whenever they needed a little music so and during the that, show during yeah, the during show, the show, there would be, oh, well, okay. they wouldn't play the whole time he's cooking, but if, <laughs> but if there was ever like a pause, they would kind of do something. And, and, and the other thing he would do is, uh, whenever he was like adding an extra spicy thing to something or adding a little pizzazz or a little zest, uh, to whatever he was doing, he would say, bam, you know, so he'd <laughs> sprinkle it in and, and, and he'd say, bam. And, and I, I was just like, man, he makes cooking look so exciting. You know, every time he says, bam, I'm like, yeah. And, 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 and so when I started teaching statistics, which is generally thought of as one of the most boring subjects ever to be taught, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to add a little zest. I'm going to little, add a little pizzazz, a little something extra. And I'm going to say, bam. And, (laughs) 
and it turned so that's where that came from is it came from the tv show um emerald live or cooking with emerald or i don't i can't remember the exact name of the show but it's mm. an old cooking show and and so i owe it to emerald for for teaching me the word bam as a way to add pizzazz to whatever you're doing whether it's food cooking or teaching statistics um that's, however uh can mm-hmm. i can i add a, i'm gonna ramble no, a sure, bit. Sure, sure. can i add a little bit Definitely. something about it so so that's where bam came from but then mm-hmm. like i you know i was teaching and 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 what i discovered is when i when i when i would write a lecture or uh, uh you know or a creative video or something like that i tended to like there just tended to be three main ideas um if it was a really good one like if it was a mm-hmm. really good well written lecture or video good script there would be just three main ideas if there were more main ideas that usually meant i was trying to cover too much material at the same time and so i'd have these three things and i'd notice that they would like you know the first one would be like okay we got this basic concept and then the second time there would be like you know we've got we we've, we're figuring out how to solve and kind of like accomplish our goal and then third one is when we finally got it all figured out which is the mm-hmm. most exciting at all and of all and that's why we have bam double bam mm-hmm. and then triple, and triple bam, bam when we've got it all figured out and that's why often times um, people go bam. exactly you start <laughs> off with triple bam on the book but but people are like uh um you know i i, I don't want to like one day, one day there will be a quadruple band. But generally speaking, uh, if there needs to be more than three bands, uh, that might mean I need to focus more. And, and mm. maybe I need to split the material into two different uh, videos or, or two different lessons. It's great to know the story behind BAM, but yeah. also the a very key concept that you make about keeping it concise and those three points, which could be applicable to anything that you're doing at work as well, right? Keep it concise, keep it to top three things, even when you're communicating with say stakeholders and all, and you're communicating these uh, difficult topics or concepts uh, when you communicate, it needs to be phrased into three. That's your triple ban. That's exactly right. And and if you, that's, that's exactly right. And if you have more to say than that, then, then either you need to start editing or, or (laughs) schedule another meeting. Right. Uh, because for me, it's like, I've got, I've, my brain is only so big and I can only handle so many new and exciting concepts in a, in a period of time. Uh, and so, and I feel like three is a good number. It's not too many. It's not too few. It's, it's like, that's a good amount. That's enough. I'm done. Yeah. And three is something people generally, they are, they're, they can recall, they can remember three yeah. things. I think at a max very easily. Top three. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why we generally say Cool. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, you started off with your journey with Medical University of South Carolina, where you co-founded the IT lab, as far as I know. And for most part, you were at University of North Carolina, Ch- Chapel Hill, and then yeah. to founding StatQuest. Yeah. How was that transition for being in core academic se- setting to act now moving completely to a, a YouTube world of teaching, which is yeah. a new way of delivering information? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's incredibly different from what I was doing before. So bef- so just to give you a little context, actually, maybe to dispel a myth, a lot of people think that one of the things I did at the University of North Carolina uh, was teach. And, and I actually never taught. I never taught a class. Oh. I've, I've, I've never actually done any formal teaching in my entire life. And so I went from basically doing research 
okay to doing teaching um although there was a lot of there was some overlap in that when i was at the at the unc or U university of north carolina when i was there you know in my free time in the evenings and whatnot i would i would make these videos and i made them i made them for my coworkers uh because i wanted i i wanted them to to understand what i was doing so they were at, at unc i worked in a genetics laboratory with a bunch of people that did genetics experiments mm -hmm. and i was sort of the math and numbers guy the statistics guy data science guy and they would give me the results of their experiments and they would go so you know what's the p-value or what is it significant what does it mean um and i would do all that stuff for them but i'd also make these little videos to kind of teach them what i was doing so that what i did didn't seem like magic to them because i'll because to them it was just like oh my gosh it was kind of a scary thing and and i wanted them to understand what i was doing not just because what i what i i thought i thought what i was doing was cool but but also because i wanted them to understand uh, the kind you know like a lot of people they're just like, give me the p-value, and hmm. but they don't really understand what the p-value really represents and what its limitations are. Like, you know, a p-value is great. It tells you that two things are probably different instead of coming from the same thing or, you know, like drug A and drug B are probably this probably different and probably not like a, an error where we gave everybody the exact same drug. So, but it doesn't tell you what the effect size is. How different are those two drugs? The p-value doesn't tell you that. And so there were little things that uh, and nuances to statistics that I wanted to teach my coworkers so that when they were communicating their results to other people or writing about it for a journal, that they would actually sound like they knew what they were talking about and not make stupid mistakes. And a lot of people do make stupid mistakes, but I didn't want my coworkers to, to for that to happen to them. So that's why I made these videos in my spare time was to help them out. And so I'd been doing it for a while. And, but when I left my work, it, it was a huge, a uh, very huge difference because it basically went from having like a secure, relatively speaking, secure salary where mm -hmm. every month I would get the right. same amount of money every month. And I kind of knew what was going to happen to yeah. uh, a, a, a job where it's like in total flux. Um, and every month is sort of like different. And at mm -hmm. the time when I, when I left the university, I had a, I had a pretty nice, comfortable salary and which is which is great and i felt very lucky to have uh but when i left i, I was what had happened is so while i was at unc i'd saved up some money you know mm -hmm. i hadn't i wasn't just spending everything i had i saved up enough money that i i felt like i could do youtube or try youtube for a, at least six months maybe a year if i was very thrifty um and I could just see how it went. And if I needed to use my savings, that was fine. That, it was all part of the plan. But the goal was by the end of the year to try to be at a point where I didn't need to live off my savings anymore. I could live off of YouTube and associated monies um, on its own without having to roll, subsidize it with, with savings for my old job. Um, and so that was the goal. And so when I, when I started off, I was hardly making any money at all. And I actually did the math. And for the amount of time I was spending working, I mm -hmm. was getting I was getting paid less than someone who bags your groceries at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was very scary uh, for me because it wasn't enough money to pay the in bills the, in the initial days. 
in the initial days, it wasn't yeah. enough money. And so I kind of panicked because uh, I was like, how am I going to make this work? And so I, I initially took on a lot of consulting work, mm-hmm. um, which, which, which was good because it paid the bills, but it also was like bad because the whole point of leaving um, my firmer job was so I could work on StackQuest <laughs> full time. And what I ended up doing is, is actually spending even less time on StackQuest and more time on just consulting and trying to pay my bills. And so I said, no, I can't, I can't do consulting. So I start, I stopped agreeing, accepting consulting jobs. And I, I, I gradually got weaned myself off of those. And in this, in the meantime, what I did is I, I, I spent more time with StackQuest, but I also started making study guides, PDF study guides uh, to sort of supplement the income. So I made like, so a lot of people would ask me, they'd watch a video and they'd say, can we have the slides from this video? Okay. Can we have the PowerPoint or the PDF? Can we have those? And so what I did is, you know, the, my, my, the slides for my videos are actually not great study aids because a lot of them are animated. Like the, like the, yeah. like the videos are animated and the way I animate them is like one slide at a time. It's like old school cartoon animations. <laughs> and so my, my presentation might have 500 slides in it. You know, and right. that's because that's because a hundred of them are slowly showing like a squiggle turn into a straight line or something like that, where I'm trying to animate something. And I just did it one page at a time. And so they, they make they make really bad study aids. So what I was doing is I would consolidate. I would take the essence of a con- of a video and I'd make a five or six page PDF document that contained all the relevant information. And once I made those. And I did a few, I started doing live, live streaming, mm-hmm. like I would do webinars, like how to do uh, decision trees from start to finish, like from data, from raw data to trained and optimized decision tree. And I did a few things like that. And those, once I started doing those, I suddenly could pay for my food and for my housing and for basic necessities. And I was making it. It's probably still making a little bit more than a than a person bagging groceries, but it was enough. <laughs> it was enough to live, and that was really exciting. You know, that was a real. Yeah. I you know I I'd never kind of done that on my own, where I where I kind of put put all the pieces together to make a living, um, and it was really exciting. So and and so I'm really I'm really pleased that I've been able to make it work. Great great journey. I yeah. want to show something on the screen, yeah, like, sure. because my next question is the I look I've looked at like the timeline of the videos at SatQuest and how uh-huh. it started to how yeah. it has grown to a 769k plus uh, for subscriber growth. Yeah. So this was the first <laughs> two videos that was on StatQuest. And one was uh, how to grate butter. Yeah. Second was how to dice or slice uh, an onion. Yeah. So I still, I went there and I saw comments, people who have been learning stats and still going back to this video of how to grate butter yeah. and the, commenting on that. So how it started, the channel started with this, these yeah. two videos, then to moving into, you know, explaining R square, deep learning, neural network. Yeah. So I want to understand, like when you started, what was the vision? Uh, I know you briefly shared about it, yeah. but I want to uh, ask in in context of these two videos specifically. 
Well, so yeah, so it's really funny. So um, I guess YouTube, I mean, well, YouTube started out primarily, I used to have a blog and I used to have this thing where every month I would write and record a new song every single mm -hmm. month. Um, and, and I'd write a blog entry or a blog episode about sort of what happened during the month. And sometimes I, I love cooking. And so I, sometimes I would include recipes and I was like, and I was un, I was uncertain that like certain techniques, people knew certain techniques, like how mm -hmm. to dice an onion. And so I would, I would create little videos to kind of supplement my recipes that I was putting in my blog, uh, that also featured some music that I'd wrote, uh, that month. And, and so, yeah, so YouTube for me early on was kind of early from the get go, I guess, was a teaching utility, teach a tool for teaching mm. and a tool for explaining something because, um, cause some, you know, I could, I'm not actually very good with words, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I feel like I could describe how to cut an onion in words, but it's so much easier just to show someone the video and say, this is how you do it. Um, it's not that complicated. Just watch. And, and so that's what I would do to, to, so that my recipes could be, could be followed clearly, um, without mistakes and things like that. And, and whether or not I succeeded is sort of, uh, uh, you know, that's other people to decide, but, but, but it was like, that's how I got started was I was just trying to, to clearly explain how to cook. <laughs> right. And if you, I don't know if you got uh, yeah. time to check those comments, but I loved reading those comments on these oh, yeah. videos. So, yeah. I love it. Too. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I love it when every, you know, I do, because every now and then someone would be like, I've watched every single video and that's, and they comment on that one. Right. Because it's right. like, it's, it's the, it's the oldest one of all. And I'm like, hooray for you. And it's kind of cool that people get into it that much. You know, that's, that's something I never dreamed would happen. You know, especially when I was making the, how, to, when I was actually making the video, I thought right. the only people that would ever watch any of these videos were just friends and family. Or, or in this, in the, in the case of the statistics-oriented ones, I just thought it would be my coworkers. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I didn't think anyone else would would ever watch these things, and it kind of shows that I wasn't expecting that because if you watch my early videos, all the examples are in terms of mouse genetics, which which yeah. were what my coworkers did, and and I've over time I've learned how to make my examples a little bit more general and and, mm -hmm. and allow the concepts to seem like they've got broader application than just mouse genetics yeah um, and from business like application in business as well i think yeah exactly you put those I'm, examples now exactly i mean i mean i'm including uh, business applications as well um and so i've come a, that's something i've learned over the process that like a lot of people do watch my videos and and i have to i have to speak to them too i can't just be speaking to a handful of uh, former co-workers anymore yeah it's like 770k but yeah. people are watching your videos now and how did the name start quest came about uh was it something you always had in the mind or there's a story behind that too yeah there's a, there's a i guess there's a story behind everything everything um yeah, in true. that in that uh before i even did youtube my videos were just PowerPoint presentations. And I would give these presentations to my coworkers on Friday mornings. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I called it stat chat, stat chat stat with chat. Josh Arm. Yeah. Chat C H A T like a little, a short conversation, a short right. informal conversation. You know, 
it, I didn't want it to seem like a lesson or a tutorial. I wanted it to seem very casual and because I didn't want to scare people away. But you was know? it done in kind of a chat setting or a class setting? Uh, uh, was it like casually people sitting and you delivering chats? It, on? It, it was so every Friday morning, the, the lab I worked in had something called lab meeting. <laughs> uh, and, and, and during lab meeting, one person would always present whatever their latest research is. And we kind of talk mm -hmm. about it. We'd, and we'd, we'd say, Hey, did you try this? Or did you try this? And I, I was always like, you need to make a better looking graph. That was the only mm -hmm. advice I could ever give, but the other people could say, what about this experiment? What about this other thing? Um, and, and then I would just, uh, on, onto that, I would just tack on my little stat chat. So it'd be like five or 10 minutes of like, okay, here, we're going to talk about R squared real quick. Um, so it was, it was like, it was semi-formal. It wasn't exactly mm -hmm. a classroom, uh, and, but it was, and it, but it wasn't just like uh, we were hanging out in a coffee shop either. It, we were in a conference room and, but, pe but it was interactive and people would say, Hey, Josh, what are you talking about? I, that, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And so that's how I kind of, I kind of, learned or, or improved, it got better at learning how to explain topics was sort of this interactive, uh, these stat chats with mm -hmm. my lab members, my coworkers, and they go, you know, and I could just look at their face and I could see if, if what I was saying made sense or not made sense. And, and, and that would give me all kinds of feedback. And I'd kind of go back and I, I try again. I didn't always get it the first time. Sometimes they would just be like, Oh, you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I just had to keep trying um, yeah. and and going back and and revising and improving and editing. And eventually I figured out a few things uh, from them. But, yeah, it started out as stat chat. And then someone said, oh, you should put it on YouTube. And um, and I was like, oh, great. But then I, I think I looked and there was somebody it was already calling something stat chat. So okay. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. And so I asked my coworkers for names, potential names. And one of my coworkers, Carrie Ann Smith, she came up with StatQuest. And then we had a lab vote. The whole lab voted on it. And, and we voted, uh, you know, there's a couple other candidates as well. But, but the outcome of the vote was that we should call it StatQuest. And so it was all, it was just, this all came from my, my past job and my coworkers helping me. It is so fascinating to know all the stories behind each and everything, right? Like the yeah. name, but the word BAM. So yeah. uh, really enjoying the conversation, knowing about where all of this came from, from your yeah. early days. Um, and your teaching style has been unique. Everyone knows, and that's what people love. I love as well. And I was reading a few comments on the videos uh, that you post where people call you code, which is greatest of Aww. all time. It's the greatest teachers of all time, which I 200% agree with. Uh, so what has been your approach to teaching? Uh, has it been like that always? Like, because I know you simplify things a lot. Yeah. There are so many resources out there on stats, yeah. ML, uh, but the way you make it so simple to understand the concepts, right? You, yeah. How did you decide that this is the approach that people would easily understand. Uh, and that's what I want to, yeah. uh, you know, that's the approach I want to take. Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, uh, I, I'm a very visual person. Like I was saying earlier, words are tough for me. Equations are even harder for me to understand mm -hmm. and communicate with. And so I was, I found myself drawn to kind of visual explanations of things 
and and the medium I was using PowerPoint at the time. I've now switched. Now I use Keynote. Okay. Uh, but these these mediums, PowerPoint, and these things are actually not very good for words. You know, like I, I, it always drives me crazy when someone just like puts a bunch of words up on the PowerPoint on the on the present presentation. Uh, those things aren't very good for for communicating words. They're very good for communicating with images. Yep. Um, and so and so the the tool I was using kind of like dictated that I should I should try to use images more than uh, than words uh, to communicate. And also just my personality, like uh, when I look at something with an image, I can understand. I just feel like I have a better intuition what's going on than when I just see an equation, mm -hmm. um, uh, at least immediate, at least off the off the bat, you know, like when I'm learning it, you know, once I understand it, I can then look at the equation and go, oh, yeah, I see what this part of the equation is doing and this what this part of the equation is doing something else. And I can understand all those things. But but I have to, like, start with the picture. Um, and so I, I, I spent a lot of time focused on basically just trying to teach, teach myself statistics, to be honest. Like, uh, I mean, I knew when I was taught statistics, I was taught a lot of formulas and sort of, mm -hmm. and I was to memorize those formulas and I had to memorize when to apply those formulas. Yep. But I had very, I had very little intuition about what those formulas were doing or how they worked. Um, and so you know, I, I felt like I didn't actually understand them. Um, and so a, a lot of, of what I do with StatQuest is I just try to teach myself uh, how it works. And in the process of teaching myself, I, I end up teaching other people. Um, uh, and, and when I do it visually, I feel like I, I, if I, you know, I feel like if I, if I have to, if I have to use the equation to, to show something, that might mean I don't actually understand it because I, for most things, there is a, there is a way to translate it into an image. Mm -hmm. And if I can't figure out how to do that, that probably means I don't actually deeply understand that, that, that equation. And I just need to understand it better. And eventually I'll figure out an image that could represent what that equation does. And, and that's when I really feel like, oh, I've got it, you know? And so then I dance around the house for a little <laughs> while, you know, and I'm like, hooray. And I run around and I come back to the computer and I draw my picture and I'm like, I did it. I'm so proud of myself. Um, but that's where the visual style comes from is me basically trying to teach myself because I was really, I, you know, before I was just taught to memorize and I, and I, and I, and I could do things. I could calculate P values. I just didn't know what was really going on. Got it. I, I wish I had you as my staff teacher in my college or school. No offense to the teachers yeah. Yeah. who I had, but yeah. I would still say uh, with the visual. And I think that's the approach you also took for the book, right? Yeah, so if, if I see this, there's a lot of like visuals here and yeah. it's very easy to understand. And I like the conversation that happens between the two guys here in the book when you yeah. start. So it, it, it's kind of a story that you build and people, I think, enjoy that part as well uh, when, when yeah. learning. Um, I know there are like some concepts that keep coming up in ML or AI. Uh, the, the approach that you take in your learning, if can you can you share one example of any new concept? And oh, yeah. maybe we can see that in a practical with a practical example oh, that with an example that 
this is the approach you took with as you explain and maybe we can learn as well uh, from from any new concept that you have heard about recently yeah let me i just can you just give me just a just a second let me see if i can uh so right now as we speak i'm trying to create a video on long short term memory networks okay which are, these are a type of neural network that are designed for sequential or time series data. So uh, you could use them in theory. I'm not in, I'm not endorsing this, but you could <laughs> use them to try to predict stock prices or you could use them. They're often used for um, natural language processing or, or automatic translation from say English to Spanish or um you know so they're used there and and when we and and language is also a, a time series or a sequence or a sequential data because the words come at you one at a time or mm -hmm. you know the words are written on the uh, typed out one at a time and um and long short-term memory no notebooks are a way to sort of have neural networks uh deal with that that style of data um, and so one of the first things I try to do is I, um, <laughs> this, I did not plan this as a presentation, but let me share a, um, uh, uh, something just so you can see that what I do is I create this. So what I have here is a, um, uh, it's a keynote, uh, presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's basically my, uh, uh, you can't see it. You probably can't see the title of this keynote presentation. It's probably too small for you to see, but it's called long short-term memory notes dot key. Right. And what I do is I start just collecting notes. And so I, I go like, these are these long-term, long short-term memory networks were developed. So the very first thing is that they deal with this something called the vanishing and exploding gradient problems. And Here's, here's one link I have. It's to the Wikipedia article. It was mm -hmm. real basic stuff. But then, so what I do is I kind of gather these notes and I gather links to interesting websites that I think are, are helpful for me to understand. Or even if I don't understand them, if they look like if I work hard enough, maybe I will understand them in the future. I'll, I'll add them to, the, to my notes. And then what I try to do is I try to draw a picture uh, of, for myself. Uh, right. there's, a, there's a standard picture for, and this is a messy picture these are my notes right this is not intended right. to teach anyone anything yeah, yeah. This, is, this is just intended for me to um center my my own sort of like you know understanding so far but it's interesting there's a uh there is a standard illustration for what a long short-term memory network looks like and, and if you look on the internet, if you Google it, you'll see this same image just pop up on everybody's page and on everybody's explanation of how these things work. And that image is, is okay, but that image is actually missing many details. Uh, and, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to create an image that included every single detail. There was nothing being left out, nothing being like, oh, we just assumed that this is going to work. No, mm -hmm. every little detail of a long term, long short term memory network is right here, and it's a mess. Uh, but but this is early on in in the process, uh, and I'll clean it up over time. And it and it allows me now that I have it, I can now focus on specific things. I can go, what is this first term doing? What how does it work? 
uh, and I can I can interrogate it. I can I can see what's going on. I can see how we've got these two inputs: one that goes off the side of the screen, and then we have our actual input value. We multiply both those by different weights, and then we add a single bias term, and then we run it through what's called a, a sigmoid activation function, and that right. squishes that squishes whatever this math gives us. That squishes that down to a number between zero and one. one. And now, yeah. the, and now what that means is whatever we're going to multiply by this is going to get scaled by it. So if, if a one comes out of this, then the green arrow will come out and be exactly the same as it was before. But right. if say like 0 0.5 comes out of this sigmoid function, then we're going to take whatever this input is and we're going to have it. You know, and so we're going to reduce it. So what this really does is it reduces whatever it is on this green line is whatever it is, we're going to reduce it by some amount that's determined by this first part of the thing. And so mm -hmm. um, and now what I'm trying to do, you know, I've got my equations here and now I'm trying to come up with good examples mm -hmm. for right. that. I could run through uh, the 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 the. Um, uh, how do I? Hold on. How do I stop sharing it at this point? I can do it from here. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyways, so now I'm at the point where what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to code up a, a, a long short-term neural, neural network that I can plug in some sample data and I can mm -hmm. see if I can create an, a very simple example so that I can illustrate how these things work in the simplest way that I can that I can figure out. So I'm at that stage where I'm coding it up and I'm actually using my friend Sebastian Roshka's book to teach me how to do that. Um, I, my understanding of, of, of coding neural networks is kind of spotty. I, I'm very strong in certain areas and I'm very weak in others. And so what I'm doing is I'm using my friend's books to sort of fill in all the gaps. Oh. Um, and, and, and that'll help me out. And it also helped me. So a lot of people, when they explain neural networks, other than me, they tend to use a lot of, uh, matrix algebra and that's fine. Um, uh, but I'm really bad with matrix algebra. And so what I'm, I'm also using Sebastian's book to kind of refresh my memory about how that works. And hopefully I can get a very simple long short term short term memory network <laughs> going pretty soon so that I can keep working on this video and and, and you know record it and put it online in a, in a few weeks we look forward to it and thanks for taking us through those examples so yeah. I, I understand like you you've taken the imagery or visualization part uh, all the resources that you have gone through and trying to from what you have understood and learned from those uh, uh, documents or you know or blogs it put that in that imagery so people can just looking at the imagery people yeah. can understand what was there in those different kind of blocks plus the visualization which makes that's, it very easier yeah exactly that's the idea and i will say there's one i feel like there's one trick that i have um that i don't i don't know if it's, if it's unique to what i do or how i do it but i all whenever i look or i read something i always ask what is missing Mm-hmm. What, what are they, they show me a picture. What's not in that picture. If they write about something or they tell me about something, what are they, what are they leaving out? I always try to ask those questions 
uh, to find out what's what's missing from what other people are teaching, because then I can focus on those things. Right. Um, yeah. the, 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 the missing, the missing pieces, the, the parts that, that maybe were skipped or, or overlooked, uh, early on. And I fill in, I try to fill in those gaps and I say, well, when they drew this picture, it's a great picture, but they're missing the weights and biases. And let's see what it looks like when we include them. Sure. It looks like a mess, but for me, it's a little easier to follow because there's no assumptions being made about right what I understand or what the viewer understands. I, I like to get rid of as many assumptions as possible. Yeah. And that I can also see in the book that uh, you have, uh, because looking at one page itself, you want to start understanding the concept. It's not like I have to go back to read like details of, of number of pages of articles to be able yeah. to understand an imagery. Uh, yeah. You were talking about tools or are you an R or Python? I thought I'd just ask <laughs> since we were discussing. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm an R programmer transitioning to Python. Okay. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's funny because when I was at UNC, uh, we all we did was you know just data analysis all the time. Mm -hmm. I never wrote like applications. I would always just import a spreadsheet or something like that and calculate some means and draw some graphs. And R is amazing at that. You know, it's super easy. It's designed for that from the mm -hmm. ground up. Uh, and it also has an excellent way for dealing with say missing values. Uh, so if there's, if there's missing values in the data, R is like, bam, I know what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but let's be honest, a lot of people are using Python, not right just, not, you know, almost everyone in the machine learning community, uh, because scikit-learn is so awesome, yeah. is using Python. I mean, that's a, to me, that's like a killer that's a uh, module for Python. It's like, yeah, of course you want to be using that. Um, and so I'm trying to learn Python uh, so that I can use that as well. Um, but I still kind of love R, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how it deals with missing data. Uh, Python's uh, Python has, as far as I can tell, no formal mechanism for dealing with missing data. Um, and, and that disturbs me. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't used, like personally used R much. Yeah. I started with it when I was started coding in ML kind of models, yeah. uh, started with R, but then as you know, like it, the world was transitioning to Python, yeah. uh, ML libraries and SkyKitlan has, has been a killer and then writing applications and that, so maybe I didn't get any enough opportunities to like into yeah. R. So yeah. Uh, and what has been your favorite ML model? Oh. Uh, I'll tell you my very favorite ML model, and this is actually a, a a sad thing about Python. My favorite ML model is is random forests. I just love <laughs> random forests. And unfortunately, Python ha doesn't have a good implementation. So if anyone's out there wants to code an awesome implementation of random forests, I highly recommend it. The scikit-learn scikit -learn is so good at so many things, but it's so bad at random forests. Uh, the R implementation of random forest is awesome because it has all the cool features that random forests offer you. Uh, yeah, the thing is, it, so... Can you help help us yeah. unpack a bit? Yeah. Not, not in detail, maybe, but yeah. when you say like it's it has a better uh, implementation yeah. on cool features, what's one thing that... The biggest thing that you yeah, would say? So... In, in ML, there's, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on just making predictions and the scikit-learn mm -hmm. version of random force can make predictions. Great. There's a lot of other models that can make predictions too, but there's some cool things that only random force can do. Random force 
have the ability to impute data. Uh, uh, so if you have missing data and um, you want to impute it, random forests have a mechanism for doing that, which is awesome. And the R version implementation contains that. Scikit-learn does not. The other thing that's awesome, 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 awesome about random forest and might be my favorite feature about it is, uh, is um, it, it, um, trees, tree methods in general can handle what's called tabular data or data that has sort of mixed data types. We've got okay. numerical data, we've got categorical data. So numerical might be age or height or weight measurements and categorical data would might be like favorite color or favorite movie, uh, or, uh, favorite food. Um, and, and a lot of methods can, can handle one or mm -hmm. the other. Uh, a type of data they can have they can either have measurements or they can have categories um random forest can take both and what they can do the powerful thing that random forest can do is they can then uh, they can then actually plot clusters mm -hmm. they for each for each sample that we use to build the random forest we can actually calculate a similarity among that that sample and all the other samples and using those similarities we can then plot a cluster uh graph that shows how the different categories maybe they overlap or maybe they maybe they're separate and have their distinct natures and they're going to be easy to separate but uh but it's uh, as far as i know random force is one of the few clustering methods out there or excuse me yeah few clustering methods out there that can handle mixed data uh and I, I don't know of any others uh mm -hmm. and it's just like such a powerful cool tool and you can do it in r and you can't do it in python got it so if anyone is listening knows of a cool implementation of random forest or is planning to do a cool implementation of random forest in python josh would be delighted to hear i will, that. <laughs> I, will I will be so i will do a video all about it i would i would and yeah. Maybe Josh could write a song as well. About I would have a special song just for that Python implementation. <laughs> I would do everything for it. I, I So please, please, please write an awesome implementation that it doesn't, doesn't just make predictions, but allows you to do clustering and data imputation for missing data or value imputation. Yeah. Awesome. Please. I hope like when we discuss it next time, maybe yeah. we have it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about your book, uh, Start Quest Illustrated Guide to Machine Learning. Uh, I wanted to ask one question about it is uh, you've done the mode of delivery of teaching has primarily been YouTube or video using visual video. Yeah. Uh, how did this idea that now, you know, you, you need to also let's write a book as well, which does a similar yeah. thing. So I want to understand like, when did you think like a book also should be there and who, what kind of people should be reading it? What's their like day-to-day -day use of reading this book? Yeah. Because there were videos out there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was the thing. So, um, I, you know, I've been making my videos for years and periodically in the comments, someone says you should write a book mm -hmm. and I go, I'm really glad you like my videos. Hooray. And I'd be like, why do I need to write a book when I've got these awesome videos? Yeah. And, and writing a book is scary. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't even, I don't even want to write a book cause that's scary. And I, I should just focus on the videos. 
but people kept saying you should write a book you know in the comments and and they just put and it was it wasn't the same person if it was the okay. same person i probably would have just blocked them right <laughs> but it was but it was all kinds of people's people all over the world would be like you should write a book or like okay. is there can i get this in a book and i'd be like no people <laughs> keep saying i should write a book and i'm mm -hmm. like i don't even know how to write a book i'm i was like i'm terrible with words mm -hmm. um and i can only do pictures and and then i was like but what if i didn't write words what if i drew pictures instead mm -hmm. and i and it was like a like a picture book and i'd be like oh I can do that. And I knew I could do it because I'd been doing those PDF study guides. Right. And people had given me lots of positive feedback. They were like, these are fantastic. These study guides are awesome. And I was like, well, this will just be like one big, long study guide. Mm -hmm. and, and then I was like, oh, I can do this because I've done the studying guides. I know, I know that I know I can do. I can draw these sort of pages of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think I can do this. And I had enough, you know, the way I'd looked at the way my videos were and I covered enough subjects and I, and I got looked at some other books that were sort of introduction to machine learning. And I was like, actually, I've got videos that cover pretty much the same exact material. It's just, they've written about it and they've used equations to describe it. And I can draw pictures about it. And so mine will be different. So if someone is a words and equations person, they can read that other book. And if they're a pictures person, they can read my book and they, and they'll find the pictures. People will finally have an option. Uh, and so that was sort of, uh, what, you know, that was like, okay, I can do it. And I, and I, then I started writing a couple of pages and I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely do this. Um, and so that was sort of the, the motivation was the people that watch my channel were asking for it. And, and the, and the, me, the sort of the positive attitude to yes, I can do this came from my study guides. Right. Um, and, but you also ask sort of who are the target audiences? Um, and, the, and, and at first, you know, at first I was like, you know, why would anyone want a book when you got these videos, but the book actually does things that a video can't. Um, in that the, the book, because it's all this material in one place, the book can kind of build a longer story about how the different methods compare to each other. Um, and can kind of like, you know, make it easier to kind of draw longer, you know, I can. I just feel like with the book, I have a big picture. Whereas like the, right. the videos, the videos, I have a very narrow focus on whatever that topic is. I've got three bands I want to do. Yeah. And there's not a lot of room for like sort of comparing and contrasting to other methods. Um, thinking, you know, or bringing in other concepts. Whereas the book says, how do we explain all this stuff in one place? Uh, obviously we, have more than three BAMs in the entire book. In fact, we might have about triple BAM, I think per chapter. Um, <laughs> but the idea is one, uh, it's, it, it allows me to kind of have a bigger picture and a bigger perspective and a sort of more unified approach, uh, to how I'm explaining things. But the other thing it allows me to do, uh, is allows it very easy to kind of like, you can just flip to whatever you're interested in. 
And it tell there'll be at the beginning of each chapter or beginning of each section, there's a page that says main ideas. Yep. And so if all you want to do is sort of like, you've got a general sense of how logistic regression works, but you're, you're, but maybe you're like, you're, you feel like you've forgotten some of the main ideas. You just flip to that one page, bam, it's there. Right. And, and I do that for every little thing I give, I give the main ideas. And so I feel like my book is obviously for beginners, people starting out on their own quest, their own stat quest. Uh, but it's also for like people that have been doing it for a long time, but maybe they can't remember everything. And that's, I feel like that's most people, right? But yeah. they, they just want to reference and they want to, they want to see what the main ideas are. They want to see how this method compares to other methods, what the strengths and weaknesses are. And I've got all that in the book. Yeah. In a way that was like, it's, it's kind of difficult to do with videos because if you, you know, if it was, if it's all over the place in different videos, it's kind of a pain to find, but in a book, you can just sort of flip to the page you want very easily and, and get the main ideas and get the, get the gist of what, what the method does. Right. It's, it's a quick refresher as well. As you said, you want to go yeah. back to the main concepts. You could just go and to those pages and just hit the main uh, uh, concept, which is PAM. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. sometimes you need break from all the YouTube, you know, screen time. Yeah. That's at least for me, that happens. Uh, yeah. You want to take some time off away from your machine and, you know, still make it a productive time and good learning experience. So that's where books come handy, right? And it can. Yeah, yeah. At least for me, it can sit right by my office table. And when you get a lunch break, have a quick look. You can learn a few things yeah. quickly. Yeah. I, I also see a great way of learning in that way. You don't have to like take time off uh, just to read the book. Yeah. Have like while you are reading, just like we read the news every yeah. morning or during lunchtime, you can read this book, which yeah. is a fantastic way to learn. Yeah. So are, are there any other books that you're working on uh, right now that you can share about? Yeah. So, um, I'm actually, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So I'll be honest when I started writing my book, uh, a year and a half ago, I did not think anyone was going to want to buy a physical copy. I thought everyone was going to want to buy the ebook version. Not me. I don't yeah. like you. <laughs> I know exactly. Well, I didn't realize that I thought I, it's kind of funny a long time ago, this was maybe 15 years ago. I, uh, I was recording, you know, back when I was recording a song a month, I, I, I had a new album come out and I printed a CD. I, 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 I made a box of 50 CDs and I, I remember handing one to a friend of mine and going, here's my new CD. And I'm, I was really proud of it. And I've worked all year on it and it was awesome. And mm -hmm. I, and I handed him the CD and goes, I don't, I don't have anything to play this on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, that was an experience I had a while ago. And I was like, I don't want that to happen to me with my book. I just <laughs> thought everyone had moved on and wasn't reading actual physical books anymore. And so, um, and so what I did is I optimized it for looking on a tablet. So, mm -hmm. it, uh, in, in, and, and I optimized it for that because I was like, everyone's just going to read it on a tablet. And so I, I wasn't really planning on making physical copies up until a week before the release date. Oh, I, uh, a week really before. Close. Yeah, exactly. A week before the release date, I looked on, uh, on Amazon. Um, Amazon has amazon.com in the U S is obviously mm -hmm. a huge merchant. 
mm-hmm. uh, and, and in Canada. They're obviously a huge merchant, but they also have a built uh, an in-house publishing company uh, where it's not it's not necessarily a publishing company. It's a printing service. OK, so I hired when I was writing my book, I hired an editor, a professional editor to go through um you know, check and make sure all my eyes were dotted and the commas were in the right place. And the, you know, the grammar was, was, was within the ballpark of correct. And, (laughs) and then I also hired people to go through and do what's called technical editing. Mm -hmm. And that meant they read through it to make sure what I was saying was correct and not, you know, so they were like looking at the actual content and not just sort Mm -hmm. of the way I'm writing, but, but the actual meaning of it. And, and I hired all those people. So I had a, I had a final draft that was ready to print and Amazon has something called print on demand in very limited markets. And I didn't realize how limited these markets were until I was like, Oh, wait a minute, I could just do this. And so I started, I was like, so I set it up so that Amazon could print the book for me. And, and people started buying it like 80 to a hundred for every copy of the ebook, there'd be like a hundred sales of the, of the paperback. And I was like, Oh, I was totally wrong. Nobody (laughs) wants, nobody wants, I mean, a few people wanted the electronic one. I I can't say nobody did, but, but, but it would, the difference was shocking, right? It was a real eye opener. How many more people wanted the the PDF or not, not the PDF, how many people wanted The, the physical book? And so the problem is, is, is I love my book. And I love the way it's oriented, sort of landscape style, because yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's it's wider than it is tall, and that's the way my YouTube videos are. You know, they're they're in that yeah. format, um, and so I'm very comfortable with that sort of that format. And but it, but it doesn't print well all over the world. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm actually reformatting my book. Uh, from right now, it's eight inches wide and six, uh, eight and a half inches wide and six and a half inches tall. And I'm reformatting it to be more standard size. So it's mm-hmm. six inches wide, nine inches tall. So like a normal everyday book, right? Uh, six by nine. And and when I fin, I'm going to tr- spend the next two months doing that. And when I finish, uh, I should be able to print it all over the world. And so... N- and so that's that's what I'm trying to do is, is there you know, there's people in India, there's people in Australia, there's people all over the world that are saying, hey, where's your book? Yeah. Do you want to get a copy of your book? And I'm like, OK, just wait, hold on. And I'm going to I'm going to reformat it for you. It's going to be six by nine, which can be printed everywhere in the world. And, and then and then everyone will be able to have a copy of my book. Yeah, I saw some posts and you also posted about some of the issues that people in India were having, especially with uh, getting a black and white copy of it. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that'll get started itself. Yeah, uh, and so. that was another learning uh, lesson. And so now whenever I get, whenever somebody in, in India, if, if we do a deal with, if I do a print, you know, because India has a thing where um, the printing of a book has to be done by an Indian owned company. It can't be a multinational corporation. So Amazon, for example, can't print my book mm-hmm. in India. It can mm-hmm. print my book in England. It can print my book in France, uh, but it can't print my book in India. They, I have to get um, an Indian company to do that. So when I, when I, um, when I work something out, you know, I've, I've got a lot of offers, which is awesome uh, from a lot of great Indian printing companies. Uh, but I'm going to have them send me an actual, proof what's called you know a sample copy of the book and so i'll be able to look at it and 
And, and once I've verified the quality of the book and it's, and it's color and it looks good and it's not super cheap. Uh, once we verify the quality then, and only then will I say, hooray, India, I've got a copy <laughs> of my book for you. Um, so that was a lesson learned the hard way. Um, right. Uh, the first time around. So I've, I've learned a whole lot about publishing books uh, in this process. And, uh, and actually, to be honest, I'm actually thinking of uh, possibly starting my own publishing company because I, really? I, feel like I've, I feel like I've got all the pieces in place. Uh, and so I, I've got this idea of creating something called Clearly Explained Press. And if anyone thinks they've got what it takes to clearly explain anything, let me know. And, and maybe we can uh, you know, I can use my expertise. I can use my network with editors, uh, various types of editors, both technical and uh, writing editors. Um, and also just the fact that I now know how to print all over the world. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give you my secret. Six by nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's my secret. But uh, I'm sure like... Uh... First, a lot of people I know are waiting for 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 the book in India, yeah. and they'll get their hands on the book pretty soon yeah. and uh, get all the advantages. Secondly, is it the 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 publishing company that you are talking about? Is it any kind of or just technical? Uh, oh, I don't know. I think it could be. It, it, they if they want to do cooking videos or cooking books, they can you do love that cooking. as well. Music. music, music could be another one. Music, <laughs> how, how you know like. I would love, actually, it would be awesome. I'd love to have a, how to, uh, you know, a, how to play the ukulele clearly Absolutely. explained. <laughs> uh, so if we've got some people that want to do that, that would be, I would love to publish that book or, or any kind of thing. Yeah. Pretty much anything. I, 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 I am, a, I'm just, I just love learning new things all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I could challenge people to try to clearly explain things to me, what would be more fun than reading what they've tried to do, you know, and learning new mm -hmm. things as a process. Yeah. And maybe it could be with your expertise, the formats and the explanation could be something similar to the way we do it in books. So it becomes a style yeah. that it's coming from that publishing company it's because that's how they learn. And then people can learn as quickly as just looking at visuals, making yeah. it very quick for them to learn. Yeah. Yeah, Great. exactly. Yeah. Well, that's super. Uh, I wish you all the best for that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, we, I, I want to also talk about the uh, other role that you play, which is of lead AI educator at Lightning AI. Yeah. I, I did some research on that, but I'm pretty sure like folks would like to understand more about that and know more about uh, your role there and what Lightning AI is doing. Yeah. So... Uh... So Lightning AI is a, is a company that basically makes their goal is to make machine learning and specifically neural networks and artificial intelligence. Uh, their goal is to make it easy, not just e and easy in every way. So uh, they've created something called PyTorch Lightning that makes creating neural networks easier. Mm -hmm. um, all right. And they've, and, but they've also got this new thing called Lightning Apps which makes deploying and connecting your say like, so it's, uh, let's explain sort of what, what's, what has to go on. Say like, I want to make, I want to use AI or I want to use machine learning in a production setting. Well, step one, I got to prototype it maybe on my laptop with a really small data set, make sure it works kind of as like basically doing things. Okay. Then we got to put it on the cloud 
and we got to connect it to a much larger data set. We got to manage sort of, you know, how the data is being stored, how it's being accessed. Uh, we've got to manage uh, how, you know, now that I've got my neural network in the cloud, I got to manage how it's being trained, wh whether it's being trained on GPUs, TPUs, CPUs, or whatever kind of processor. Got to manage all that. And then I have to manage sort of like how people interact with the with a machine learning algorithm, is there an interface to that? Is there a web interface? Is there an app uh, mm -hmm. where I can input new data and an outcomes a prediction? Um, how do I use the thing? So there's all these little pieces. The machine learning is like a very small, like the, the actual neural network is a relatively small component of that. Uh, and what Lightning tries to do is make every little aspect of all those little details very simple and you don't have to deal with it. So, and, and it started out with, um, they came up with this super easy way to take, an, take a program that you wrote on your computer and run it on the cloud. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have to like log, you know, you didn't have to like start spinning up a, a cloud-based server and then allocate resources and then like configure the server, blah, blah, blah. You could just say like, I'd been I'd writing a pro Python program. I, it's, I could say Python, myprogram.py to run it. And then if I, if I wanted to run it in the cloud, I could just say grid space python.myprogram.py and bam, it would just go to the cloud. And it had default configurations uh, for you know a basic uh, cloud server, nothing fancy, basic mm -hmm. resources. And if I wanted to tweak it, I could then say, I could use the same thing, grid space python space myprogram.py. And then I could say dash, GPUs equals two, you know, if I wanted to configure it and say, I want to use two GPUs and they made it super easy to go mm -hmm. from your, your laptop, which is your sandbox to like the cloud, which is for production, uh, which I thought was awesome. And now they're doing that for everything. They're doing it for data stores. They're doing it for the graphical interface, the way you interact with your, with your thing, with your, with your, with your application. They're making it all super easy. And what I love about that as an educator who likes to focus on things that are clearly explained is it takes a lot. It makes it makes my job infinitely easier. Now, instead of focusing on all these details of like how to like configure a server in the cloud. Now I can just focus on the concepts of like, you know, how does this really, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? What tools are we using? Um, and how we're going to do it. And we can think about big picture things, which are way more interesting to me than the nuance of like Unix command line stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and so that's, uh, that's why I started working with them is, is uh, they want to make this easy and I want to make it easy to learn. And I just felt like we had, we, had, our goals were the same. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and I've always, uh, uh, let me step back. I got I got a little ahead of myself. So let's step back. Let's go back to when I was in college. And <laughs> when, when I was in college, uh, I, 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 I had two majors. One was in, in music and I learned how to compose. And the other major was in computer science. And and I loved both and I had a great time. Uh, but in computer science, although we did some coding and we wrote some stuff, mm -hmm. there was a very big disconnect between what I did at school and how I did it. And what I did at work when I got mm -hmm. a job outside, when I graduated. That's true. Uh, and, I, and I remember being like, I learned all this stuff, which is one thing, but I'm doing something completely different. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was a little, 
and, and some of the stuff we just did differently from the way we taught it. And I, and I was like a little kind of like confused and a little crushed that what I'd learned wasn't as useful as I thought it would be. And so I've always sort of like, I, I always was, I've always been worried that that's the way, that's what happens with my videos where people go, oh, I learned the theory and that allowed me to pass some test. But in practice, I do things completely differently. Right. And I don't want to be that person that teaches you one thing, but you end up having to do something else. And so I've always wanted to do a series on neural networks. That's very real world. This is how mm -hmm. neural networks are really done. They're really deployed in the cloud. And so if I, when I do, when I teach people how to do neural networks, I don't want to just teach them how to do it on their computer. I want to teach them how to do it on the cloud. And that's what, that's one thing lightning does makes cloud super easy. And I, and another thing that I want to teach people is how do you access data stores and things like that? Well, that's another thing lightning makes easy. And also the interface, obviously they make all the pieces easy so I can focus on teaching people, but also teaching them in ways that are real world. And they'll be like, not only did I learn the theory, but I actually learned how to do it. And this is actually how I do it. And ultimately how I do it in work at, at work. Right. And, I, and I want that to be, I want to connect all the dots and lightning is, is allowing me to do that. Um, Would it be fair to say they're taking kind of a low code, no code approach and so that we can scale MLAI applications? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're kind of headed that way. I mean, let's be honest, neural networks have been with us for over 70 years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about time for them to be super easy. You shouldn't need a PhD to code a neural network. Right, right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about Lightning AI. I'm pretty sure folks would uh, check out uh, Lightning AI and also learn from you there. Yeah. Uh, it was a great conversation, but before I close, uh, yeah. there's one thing I want to ask is, uh, which I generally tend to ask all the guests on Inspired is, what has been your biggest life lesson? It could be, or learning. It could uh -huh. be from your professional journey and also, or either, either could be your life journey that yeah. you think has helped you grow as a person or as a human being? It's it's hard to pick the one, mm -hmm. uh, but one of the most recent ones uh, that was very transformative to me was my former boss who told me that, um, that I had to believe that whatever I was doing was the most important thing for me to be doing in the whole world. And that doesn't mean that I have to be the best at it, that, that there's no one better at it. It just means that whatever I'm doing, it's what it's the most important thing for me to be doing. Um, and, and, and I don't know, that just, to me, that's like, you can look around at the world and it's a way of just like narrow, making it obvious as to how to make decisions about mm -hmm. where to go, what to do next. And it's not always obvious what the most important thing for you to be doing, but you can sometimes like look at something and go, I here I am, you know, I'm bagging groceries at the grocery store. Is this the most important thing I could be doing with my life? And the answer is, I mean, for some people that might be yes. Uh, and I don't want to, I'm not going to judge that, but for other people, they might go, no, there's actually something there's, I don't know what it is, but I bet you there's something more important that I need to be doing other than bagging groceries, right? you know, and that's a way of sort of like helping me find how to best spend my time. Right. Right. Uh, cause, cause we all are faced with a lot of choices and a lot of options as to how we can spend our time. 
And when I was at my job, I was have I was really enjoying my job and I loved my coworkers and I had a great time. But my videos were having a larger effect mm -hmm. on more people. Mm -hmm. And it became, it became clear to me that I had to leave my job. Once I realized that I was working on the videos was more important than what I was doing in at UNC. It was, it was, it was if I'm going to help as many people as I can, I need to spend more time on StatQuest. And that also helped me when I was doing consulting, you know, helped me stay focused. It made me realize, wait a minute. Remember, the whole reason we quit was to do StatQuest. And the reason why we're doing StatQuest is we believe it's the most important thing that I could be doing with my time. And so I need to, I need to find a way that I, to make more time for StatQuest and to, and to not have to do as much consulting work and things like that. So that's, that was the advice my boss gave me. And, and I, I, that was a sort of, for me, that was a game changer is, is, is thinking about all the choices I have in life and thinking about them in terms of not necessarily what's the most fun or what's the most exciting or what's the newest, but what's the most important thinking right. about it in terms of importance was just, uh, uh, it was like all of a sudden I saw that I saw my list of options in a whole new color. Right. And, and That's a great advice. And yeah. I think you can apply it to everything that you are doing. When you unpack things, when we yeah. are faced with constant information and decisions every day. Yeah. So, and if you have to simplify, you're like, what I'm doing today, is this the most important thing I wanted to do today? Yeah. Maybe not. As you yeah. said, triple bam, three important things that I want to do today are yeah. these. Yeah. Does it fall the activity that I'm doing? Does it fall under that? Yeah. No. So that simplifies your decisioning process as well, yeah. rather than you compli complicating with all the information. Okay, I have to do this, do that. But just uh, step aside and ask yourself, is it the most important thing you want to do today? Yes. That's a great advice. And thank you so much, Josh. It was incredible having you. I had so much fun uh, yeah. having this conversation and learning about uh, stories that you shared about Pam and how StatQuest started and also uh, the learnings that we got on neural network and your favorite wow. model. And I hope someone also quotes random forest in Python. Yeah. So uh, it was great. And uh, I hope we get to do another one soon. Uh, yeah. And uh, once the book is out there in India as well, I, I'm pretty sure people will start uh, enjoying uh, and learning from those, that book as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on the on the Inspiration Podcast or Inspired Podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And many thanks, everyone, for tuning yes. in. And if you know someone who you think we should interview, uh, you can connect with me or, or drop me a line on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Have an amazing day. Stay happy, stay healthy, and be inspired. Thank you. <laughs>